Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist, and we're glad you're joining us. This week we are continuing on in our series called With Everything, and this is a series specifically uh, pointed at, aimed at what we should be doing uh, as far as worshiping the Lord in our life. Um, and so last week we kicked off the entire thing, and the, and the main takeaway from last week was largely that we are supposed to worship God with the entirety of our being. Every piece of us should be worshiping God. Um, and I, I thought it was a great week, great way to, to, to kick the whole thing off and phrase, phrase the entire thing. Um, and can, can I just say, though, that that phrase is actually a whole lot easier to say than it is to embody. Right? That's actually a very difficult phrase to, to embody with, with our lives, to worship, that worshiping God should be with the entirety of our being. Because if we're being completely honest, we can understand that, that worshiping God with our entire lives sounds like a great idea, but it's actually really, really difficult to do. Especially when you're tired, and none of you, you guys all look great, by the way. Extra hour sleep did you all real good. I will, just, uh, I will just say that. Except you with young kids and your young kids, they don't care about daylight savings time. They're up at 6 a.m. still. Um, but especially when you're tired, right, especially when you're burned out, especially like all of, like when the chaos of life that Jeff just talked about, this chaos of life, the distractions, all those different things, it becomes very, very difficult for us to be able to worship God with the entirety of our being. So put a pin in that for just a second because I do want to talk about Fall Carnival and what happened here last week. So I had said a couple different times from stage, our guess was we were going to have about 1,200 people on campus, right? Uh, the year last year was about 1,200. year before that was like 900. year before that was 700. So we had seen like this incremental growth, and we were thinking to ourselves, you know what? We've probably, we've probably hit our cap with the amount of people that are going to come onto our campus because of space and all of those all of those different things. So I was feeling great going into our fall carnival with 1,200 people. That's a huge win still um, for, our, for our church. Um, but over 1,600 people showed up here on, uh, on last Tuesday. You can, yeah, you can clap for that. But here was the issue, is I was not prepared for that, okay? Everybody else was. Everything ran incredibly smoothly. It was fine. In my mind, I was not prepared for that many people to, uh, to come onto our campus, especially because we had no place to park everybody. And my biggest win uh, in the fall, not my biggest win, my second biggest win in the fall carnival outside of people showing up and then us being able to follow up with them about Jesus. Uh, the second biggest win is making sure that our neighbors aren't upset with us because we aren't parking people in their gravel, right? We always want to be good stewards of, of our neighborhood and our relationship with those neighbors and that, that sort of thing. Um, and, and before I get any further, can, I, can we also just say thank you real quick to the hundreds of people who volunteered to make this happen? Can you clap for that, please? Um, I mean, all the way the people who donated candy and chips and water, huge cost savings for the church uh, in, in that respect. Um, but then beyond that, all the people who helped kind of control the madness of the event, that, that event, you know, the, the bounce house people have a terrible job. Uh, the people, the most thankless job, if you don't know what one of the jobs are, uh, is uh, you get to roll hot dogs that have been cooked so people can just go down the line and grab a hot dog and keep moving. Uh, I was talking to, uh, to a lady, Miss Carly, and I asked her, how long have you been rolling hot dogs? And her answer 
uh, was uh, almost as long as I've been alive. Um, and so, so she's rolled thousands of hot dogs in her life. So Miss Carly, thank you, uh, thank you for for doing that. And and the event was was fantastic, right? As far as I know, um, it was the largest community outreach we have ever done. Definitely since since I have been the pastor here, but maybe all time, it was absolutely absolutely crazy. But we all like on staff wise, we all had our spots that we were like giving oversight to, right? And so uh, Brian Guy, he was responsible for the the kids area and the student area and the pump pumpkin launching and and uh the 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 pumpkin drawing and uh, whatever that was um and like the bounce house like he was responsible for all of that and then pastor jeff he gave oversight to uh to the trunk or treat portion as well as the kitchen portion making sure that that whole side of things uh was taken care of brian asbury that guy's on the microphone and giving away prizes and playing music and making announcements we only had a couple kids get lost that was a big win uh for that's a joke you guys all need to chill out a little bit if you're new with us we don't lose kids, okay? I promise. Your kids are safe. They are somewhere on our property. Um, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, but Brian was doing that. Uh, Melissa O'Reek, she's our intern. A lot of you guys don't know this. Melissa's been working with us for the past couple months or so. And Melissa is a very, very high capacity person. If you don't know Melissa, that's just the way that she functions. And our goal was never to give her this entire event, but what happens with high capacity people is they're just like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Um, and so pretty soon, Melissa had like planned the entire event, uh, so much so that usually I have a lot more to do at the event or to set up for the event, and I had like nothing. So Jeff was supposed to preach this week. It's like, hey, Jeff, can I preach for you? Because I don't have a lot to do this week. He's like, yes, absolutely. Um, um, so, but, but Melissa, she, she's like giving oversight to everything and solving problems and those maps and those pamphlets that we gave out, like her and Bethany Asbury worked on those things together and absolutely crushed it. Can we just thank Melissa for a second for the work that, uh, that she put in? But so then my job was supposed to be like, I'm going to be at the Welcome Center, right? That was my, my job. I'm going to shake hands and kiss babies, right? Like pastors are supposed to do and make sure everybody is comfortable and warm and all that stuff. Um, but like I said, my biggest, my second biggest win is to keep people off the road. So I told the parking team, I was like, hey, guys, if nothing else, just keep people off the road. And then I walk over just to kind of check on them. And they were just like, Peter, we we have no space to put anybody else. And I looked at my watch, it was 5.40. We still had, we had a ton of time left in the event, right? And so I'm stressed out because I'm a control freak and I want to make sure that like everything goes according to plan and new people who are coming onto our campus know how to navigate everything, right? And so uh, Brian Miner had come and, and he, uh, he had his little like chalk machine because he's the president of uh, Hanford Little League. Um, and so if you have issues with Hanford Little League, you can take it up with Brian Miner. Um, but he came and he was like doing parking spots and all that stuff and like legitimately 10 minutes into the event we those parking spots were like gone they were absolutely gone so we're tearing down tape that we were like extending the parking we're doing everything that we can that we can possibly do to try to make the event as successful as possible so people can you know navigate and all that stuff and not park them so close that their cars were getting pelted by pumpkins by the pumpkin launchers or anything like that right we wanted to make sure cars were cars were safe and so I'm out there and I'm doing all those different things and I'm just 
like as I was preparing this, uh, the next couple of days after that, I kept thinking to myself, man, I got served a dose of humble pie with, with this idea of worship. Because here we have this massive outreach event where all I should be doing is just like worshiping God and what he's doing and all these people coming on the campus and hopefully all these people coming to hear more and learn more about Jesus and deepen their relationship with Jesus. And all I could think about was making sure that people had a parking space. Now, to be clear, I wasn't being worshipful in this moment. To be clear, I wasn't like cussing at old ladies because they parked in the wrong spot or anything like that. But my mind was still elsewhere. I was not worshiping God with, uh, with the entirety of, our, uh, of, of my being. And so like I said, it is easier said than done. It is always a good idea, right? Especially if you follow Jesus. You always think to yourself, yeah, I should worship God with the entirety of, of my being. And I think the reason is that there are some things in life that we like to control more so than other things. It's a whole lot easier to worship God in some ways than it is in, in other ways. And it comes back to control. And when we feel like things are beginning to spiral, when things are, are just kind of feeling chaotic, when things are getting out of control, who is it then at that point in your life that you trust the most? I think for most of us, we would say ourselves. Right? When something gets out of control, when I don't understand like, what the outcome is going to be or whatever, what is it that I do as a responsible human being? I think to myself, I'm going to control this situation to the best of my ability. Because if I trust anybody, it's this guy right here. Because I can handle it, right? I, I'm able to, to dictate more of, a, of that outcome. And I think, I think it's a big obstacle to worshiping God with everything is our own desire for, for control. Which is why this message is, is kind of timely. Because the thing that we desire to control more than anything is oftentimes our money. Okay. Let me press time out. I said money and everybody's like, here we go, giving message. This is what's going to happen today. If you're new with us, this message is also for you. Okay? If you don't have faith in Jesus, this, money, this message is also for you. If you do have faith in Jesus, this message is definitely for you this morning. But here's the reality. Most of us grew up in a place where the goal of our finances, the goal of our resources is to create as comfortable of a life as possible. That's just what it looks like growing up in, in the American West. So according to our society, we were supposed to graduate high school and either go to college or start working and continue to work so you can amass as much wealth as possible. So when you hit the age of 65, then you can enjoy the next 20 to 30 years of your life uh, resting on that massive nest egg that you have built up over that time so you don't have to worry about anything. That's what the American West has taught us. Make money so you can be comfortable. So apart from, from just our, like, like, um, our comfort overall, can I just say that, that worshiping God, like the, one of the biggest hindrances to, to worshiping God is that comfort. It's that idea of I want to remain comfortable for as long as I possibly can. And, and it's one of the greatest hurdles we have, we have to get to, to in order to worship God well. And so my goal in this sermon is to encourage, of you, encourage those of you who do have faith in Christ to give to the Lord regularly, to give to the Lord cheerfully, and specifically, how does this fit into? This is an act of worship for us. How we, how we use our finances, how we allocate our finances, how we steward the things that God has blessed us with is a true and pure act of worship. And so I do want you to know, 
I do not naturally enjoy speaking on the issue of giving. It is not something that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go up there and I'm going to make everybody feel bad, right? That's not my goal. I don't like doing it. Most pastors don't like doing it. It would actually be accurate to say that I kind of dread it. Even this past week before I sat down and began writing this sermon, I thought to myself, I don't feel like preaching on giving. I don't like doing it because the way that you all feel right now is like, okay. Here we go. We preach on giving. But we've learned to not trust our feelings, right? So if it's, if it's in Scripture, we are going to teach on it. That's kind of our standard. That's what we go with all the time. So if you're ever curious about how it is that we stand on different beliefs and what it is that we preach about, if it's in the Bible, we're going to preach about it. Okay? And so that's kind of where we're at today. Truthfully, over the years, I've even de- developed a, a distaste for religious leaders who seem to be all about money. Right? The world is full of them, un- unfortunately. And the last thing I want is to be identified as, as one of those people. Right? I'm sensitive to the fact that, that many people in our culture view pastors as greedy. Um, they, they view pastors that, uh, just thinking that, oh, pastors, they're all about personal gain. Right? I mean, how many times have you heard the criticism of, of the church by non-Christians? The church is only concerned about money, is what they say. So if you're new with us, we don't preach about money every week. Sometimes we forget to talk about money altogether, and then I have to remind Jeff to make the announcement at second service. Right? So that's not our goal on a regular basis, but... It is our goal to make sure that we are being discipled in such a way that we are worshiping God with everything that we, that we possibly have. Right? The truth of the matter is the scripture talks a whole lot about money on a regular basis. Right? The way that we view money, the way we manage it, those things are important to, uh, to God. It's possible to, to, uh, it's possible to either worship money and possessions or to use our money and our possessions for the worship of God. And so some people see their money and they see their possessions as something that is simply belonging to themselves. But the Christian should see that all they have actually belongs to God. Everything that we have, whether it's money or whether it's your car, whether it's your home or whatever it may be. We have a a guy by the name of Lee Pritchard. He serves on our board. He's been going here uh, since uh, the church was founded in 1892. Um, (laughs) I threw him under the bus last service too. He was here. He said he tried to give me a thumbs up, and then he put his thumb down when I said that. Um, but, <laughs> but Lee's been here forever, right? And Lee, he's got, he's got this incredible, like, massive, like, tour bus of an RV. And what does Lee do with that RV? Yeah, he goes camping, and he goes to the coast, and he does all those things that you do with, with an RV. But on top of that, Lee is like, hey, I want to serve kids, and I want to serve students to the best of my ability with that thing. So last year camp got canceled, winter camp got canceled for our elementary school kids because it snowed too much. We got too much water in California, right? And so because of that, Sugar Pop was like, you know what, we can't, like, we can't facilitate it. We have too much snow. And so Lee, he felt bad about that. And so he was like, hey, what if we just invite the kids over? They'll play some games. They'll have some snacks. We'll have a little bit of fun. And then we're going to take them back to the church. We're going to take them back to the church in this massive RV that they have. So we have like 15 kids who are planning on going to camp, and Leah's like, I'm going to take all of these smelly, sticky, candy cane-covered kids and put them in my really nice RV and do my best to serve God with the resources that I have. And they showed up, and he honked real loud. It was like 9 o'clock at night. And I was like, your neighbor's going to get mad at us. I'm going to get an email about this, right? And they showed up, and it was absolutely incredible. So what is he doing? He's using the resources that he has to worship God. And so we are stewards of everything that God has given us. And hear me, your money is your 
money, right? And your possessions do in fact belong to you. But the Christian is supposed to look at the good things of this life that they have been given and say, it is all from God ultimately. And I will enjoy it and I will use it to the glory of God. And so the way that we handle our money is great. And the way that we handle our money is is very, very important to God. And so the way that we handle our money reveals a ton about the spiritual condition of your heart before God specifically. And so scripture everywhere talks about the importance of giving our possessions to God uh, as an act of worship. Even from the very, very beginning, the true worshipers of God would always approach uh, approach him in worship with hands that were full of something. Okay, they never came with, with empty hands, but with something of value to offer up to them, right? Think even back to primitive worship with Cain and Abel, for those of you who are familiar with the story. Cain and Abel, when they showed up to honor God, to worship God, they showed up with offerings, okay? Even in, uh, under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament times, we see the advancement of the kingdom, the promotion of worship, the promotion of worship of the one true God, it was supported by the giving of the people on a regular basis. It's an important topic. It's a deeply, deeply spiritual topic. And our spiritual health, hear me on this, our spiritual health is impacted by our giving or our lack thereof. So with that, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15, it'll be on the screen. This is what it says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It goes on, it says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 15, we'll skip down. We'll go back to 12, 13, and 14 in a minute. Verse 15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So as we read that, we're going to chunk it up a little bit, but as we read that, we should understand the first thing that we need to do is we need to give to God worshipfully. It's important to see the giving, specifically of tithes and offerings, as primarily that. It is an act of worship before God. And this isn't new. Okay, as you read through the Old Testament, I already talked about the idea of, of Cain and Abel. They came to worship with their hands full to give an offering, to give a sacrifice specifically to God. I'm not a gambling person, but if I was a gambling person, I would definitely say uh, uh, Cain and Abel probably learned that from somebody, most likely their parents, Adam and Eve, meaning all the way from the very beginning of time, we have people who are giving gifts and offerings to the Lord, their first fruits even in the garden before the fall of man, which we see in Genesis chapter 3. So Cain and Abel did it, and they learned it from someone, Noah. Noah actually sacrificed to the Lord. Adam, or Abraham, rather, gave his tithes and offerings to the Lord under the Mosaic law, which we find uh, in the book of Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, that sort of thing. Under Moses, the worship of God always involved the offering up of sacrifices to him. And that sacrificial, that sacrificial system, rather, implemented under that Mosaic law that we find in the Old Testament was actually really, really complex. 
Okay, the people of God were supposed to, on a regular basis, bring sacrifices depending on what, it was, what was happening in their lives. Sometimes it was sin issues, other times it wasn't sin issues, right? But, but there were tons of different types of offerings. There were burnt offerings, drink offerings, grain offerings, incense offerings. There were guilt offerings. There were free will offerings. And so there's a really actually complex form of worship was instituted by God for a time in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, before Jesus, in order to serve as a means for grace from those people of God. So if you sinned in some way, there was an offering that you were supposed to bring to the temple to help atone for that sin, okay? It is an offering that we were supposed to bring, bring forward. So the thing then to notice now is that the worship of God under Moses involved the offering up of personal possessions to God. And beyond that, Paul actually speaks to it and spoke to the offerings of the Christians, specifically in the book of Philippians, the people of Philippi, that were sent there to support him in his ministry. And he uses Old Testament language. This is what he says. He says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Right? So what he's saying is like, look, no one else is supporting Paul as a missionary. No one else is supporting him. No other church is supporting him in any way except the people of Philippi. He goes on, he says, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and a pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul views the financial support sent from the Philippians to him as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and a sacrifice pleasing to God. And so when you give in support of the advancement of the kingdom of God, when you give for the building up of the temple, which is the church, when you give to the support of the gospel ministry, it is an act of worship. And we should give worshipfully to the Lord. And so then one of the questions that people ask oftentimes is, okay, if I'm supposed to give worshipfully, how much should I give? How much should I give? And I think we struggle with that oftentimes, right? We're going through, we're doing our Dave Ramsey thing, and we're like trying to figure out how much, well, how much, should I give? okay, this much to savings, this much to, uh, to offering or to the, to the church, to giving, whatever it may be. And then we got our electrical bill, but it's summertime, so that's a little bit higher than normal. So maybe we can cut off of our tithe a little bit. Like how much is it that we should give? And I think the best way to answer that question is to say that you should give sacrificially. You should give to the point of feeling it. Right? Under Moses, the people were supposed to give a tithe of all of their wealth. If you're not familiar with church terms, tithe, that word tithe literally means 10%. Okay? That's, what, that's, that's what that means. Leviticus 27.30, it says, every tithe of the land, so hear what he's talking about here, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord. It's holy to the Lord's. That means saying, if you got... You got produce, you should bring 10% in. You got seeds, you should bring 10% in. It's holy to the Lord. And every tithe of the herds and flocks, so you got cattle, bring them in. Please don't bring cattle here next week, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. The tithes were used to support a specific group of people in the Old Testament. If you read through the Old Testament, there's all of these different tribes, right? And one of the tribes, they were guys by the name of Levites. 
And so the tithe um, were specifically to support the Levites. The Levites, they served in the tabernacle. Later on, they served in the temple. They were responsible for moving the different things around. And the poor Levites, I'm always grateful that I'm a pastor in the New Testament era, not the Old Testament era, because the Levites also were charged with inspecting people's wounds and cuts and rashes and deeming them clean or unclean. So really thankful I'm not a Levite. Okay, that has nothing to do with my message. Just a fun fact about Levites for you all. <laughs> Enjoy lunch. Um, so, so they were used to support the Levites because the Levites, that was their only job. Okay, they didn't farm on the side. They didn't grow crops on the side or anything like that. It was the support of all of the other tribes specifically given to those tithes were for the Levites. Okay, it says that in Numbers 18.21, it says, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. But the Levites, even the Levites, they were supposed to tithe on what it is that they got as well. Numbers 18.26, the Lord says, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe, and I have given you fr uh, from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord. A tithe of the tithe. Yeah, I've joked about this before on numerous occasions, because Sarah and I, we tithe. Um, and... It's really funny because our finances always just go in a big circle over and over and over again, right? The church pays me, and I'm like, no, 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 church, here's 10%. And they're like, oh, I'm going to give it back to you. Here's 10% of the church. It never ends up helping the church at all, and it definitely doesn't help me at all when it comes to our finances, but it does help me in my spiritual condition because my responsibility is to worship God with the entirety of my being, and that includes with my money, and so beyond that, the Levites, they themselves, like I said, they, they tithe. And then by the days of Malachi, the prophet, the people, they're, they're failing to give a tenth. And so the Lord, he speaks boldly to the people through Malachi. This will be on the, on the screen. It says, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. This is what Malachi is saying to them. Like, can you imagine if I came up here and I was like, hey, look, everybody, you're not giving them enough. Would you rob God? No, but you're robbing me. That's what Malachi is doing here. He says, but you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Hear me, I'm certainly in not in favor of requiring a tenth in a legalistic way. Okay, if you're in here this morning, you're like, tenth, that's nuts. That is, that is not happening. But the tithe shouldn't be ignored either. But it seems here that the people of God in every single age have made a practice of giving a tenth of their first fruits to the Lord as an act of sacrificial worship. The question shouldn't be, what do I have to give? I think it's the wrong question when we're approaching our money, when we're approaching giving. They say, okay, well, what do I have to give then? It's the same question as like, how much can I do before I, start, before I start sinning? We're asking the wrong question. Like, is this a sin? Don't ask that question because if you think it might be a sin, it probably is a sin. Instead, you should ask yourself, how can I worship God to the best of my ability? So don't ask things like, how much do I have to give? But maybe how much is it that I can give? is probably what you should be asking in some way. And the answer is that we should give sacrificially. C.S. Lewis consistently said, you should give until you can feel it. 
If you're not feeling it, you're not giving enough, is what, is what they would say. And maybe a tenth should be a goal for you in light, in light of Scripture. Maybe some of you should be giving more. Maybe some of you have never started giving ever, and you need to be giving a little bit less. Like start at one, if you're at 0%, start at 1%. This is the one thing in Scripture God says, test me on this. So test them. Give 1% and see if you miss it. You're giving 3%? Great. Jump up to 5 See if you miss it. There's some of you who have like been, been like, oh, I've got 20 bucks in my wallet. I'll, I'll fling that into the offering, which we appreciate. But my guess is you're actually probably giving out of compulsion at that point, which Scripture warns about, saying, oh, I'm at church. I feel guilty. I should probably give those guys some money. I have a friend of mine, and I've talked about this before. I have a friend of mine. His goal is to do a, a, an inverse tithe, meaning that he wants to give 90% and live on 10%. And for him, that 10%, that's all he needs until he can feel it, until he really starts feeling this, this pinch of giving. So I'm hesitant to say that a tenth is required of Christians. Instead, I'm saying that each one of us should give sacrificially and according to their ability. Paul even backs that up in 2 Corinthians in 9.7. He said, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Beyond that, 1 Corinthians 16.2, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So scripture is saying everyone is supposed to give as he has decided in his heart to give and as he may prosper, which means according to your ability. Now that's not to say you're like, oh, I can't. I can't afford this. I can't afford to give. I don't know, maybe like sacrifice the latest model of iPhone. You know, a new one's coming out next year too, right? Which is kind of sad to be able to say, to stand up here and say, in order for us in the, in the, the church in the West to sacrifice, we're giving up the newest iPhone or the next MacBook Pro. I'm an Apple guy. I'm going to keep going on Apple products here. Or the newest Apple Watch, right? Like, I, like, I don't know what it, what it but, but whatever it is, we are supposed to be giving sacrificially. So it's to be giving how much it is that you are, you are able to give. And so ultimately, that is my approach as a pastor. I want to urge you to give sacrificially as you, as you have decided in your heart and according to your prosperity or your ability. But I will say we would do well to give sacrificially to the Lord. Can I just say there's some of you in here that 10% is not enough. And there's some of you in here that 10% is too much. So if you see that 10%, you're like, oh, I'm hitting a tithe. Check your heart on that. That might be legalism creeping in on you a little bit. The idea of like, ah, oh, no, yeah, we gave our 10%. We could check our box. Check your heart on that. But everyone is supposed to give as they prosper. So next, I think that we should give for the promotion of Christ's kingdom. Okay, I think that's the next reason that, that we give. I, I just want to emphasize here that when you give money, it does not simply vanish into thin, thin air. I think oftentimes we think about our tithe in the same way that we think about like our electricity bill, right? You write the check or you go give online or you give through the app or you give in the office, all of which are available to all of you, by the way. Um, had to sneak it in. Make sure you knew all the different avenues, right? But you do those things and then after you do those things, you just kind of forget about it. You're like, oh, it's fine. It's done. We use your money to do our best to advance the kingdom of God in everything that we do. 
We have, I mean, we, we just got finished going through world mission offering over the course of the last month, right? And we highlighted different missionaries. We said we want to send money to these people and these people and these people and all that different stuff. Can I just say, you guys gave generously. We raised almost $7,000 in the last couple of weeks, and we didn't take a hit to our general fund at all. You can clap for that. Thank you, Dave. But that is a very tangible, very real, practical way how your money goes directly to impacting the kingdom of God in a positive way. To both growing and deepening the kingdom of God in a very, very practical way. Our, far, our, our fall carnival, I almost said something else, our fall carnival, that takes money to put on. Every single year it takes money. And granted, you guys donated all the candy in the world. I don't know if people had candy to give out after you guys donated, right? You guys donated a ton of water and, and chips and all of those different things. But at, the end of the, but at the end of the day, it still takes money to impact the kingdom, to put on programs that are going to draw people out of their homes, come onto our campus, and be willing to hear about Jesus. It takes money. Even, even yesterday, our senior adults, and the senior adults, they had their luncheon and they packed all the shoeboxes and all that stuff. You can still help pack shoeboxes, by the way, for Operation Christmas Child. Those things take money. It requires our time. It requires our resources, right? Even the senior adults, right? They do, they, oftentimes they, they potluck style things. Those are still resources that are needed in order to have that ministry because we're Baptists and we don't do things without food attached, Right? You older Baptists like that joke. Everybody else is like, what? Um, but that, like, like, those are our resources. Beyond those things, the board and the staff of the church here, we have a responsibility to use the tithes and offerings of the congregation wisely and appropriately, right? Budgets need to be established. We have to keep oversight with those things. And so they are maintained that reflect the God-given mission of the church. That should be our goal. As a matter of fact, I just finished sitting down last month with both our stewardship committee and our executive board. And we finalized our budget for, 20, uh, for, for 2024. We are wise with God's money. We put people in place who are serious about their relationship with God so they, they can check us just in case. We're like, ah, that seems a little bit superfluous. That's a little bit extra. You might not, you might not need that. But we are wise with God's money, and I believe that God blesses us because of the fact that we're wise with, God, wise with God's money. Case in point, this year, we have never been in the red all year. If you've been coming to this church for a long time, that might sound strange to you, okay? Because this is what happens. January, February, March, April, Easter hits. Everybody's like, oh, it's Easter. I got to get a little, little bit of extra money, which we appreciate. We kind of peak at Easter. We hold steady in May. And then summertime comes and you guys all leave and like giving just drops out the bottom every single year. And we go into the red. Last year at this point, we were like, well, at the end of October, we were like $70,000. No, end of, end of September, we were like $70,000 in the red. Right? And it just completely and totally drops out. And then we rally in the fourth quarter. And since I have been here, we have never yet finished in the red. Ever. And that's awesome. Why? Because I think that we are using God's money wisely. And because of that, he blesses that money. He blesses our church with that. Beyond that, and this isn't like a look at Peter thing, he did something great or anything like that. I think this is a God blessing us thing for the wisdom in which we are using our money. When I got here five and a half years ago, we had $500 in our savings account as a church. $500. That makes me nervous as an individual. 
Much less, much less an organization that boasts next year a $1.3 million budget and we had $500 just in case, right? That won't, that won't get you new tires on a car, much less an air conditioner that goes out, right? And so over the course of the last five years, with your generosity and your sacrificial giving, we have in our savings account now over $300,000 with an extra $80,000 that we've invested into a CD. So we're using God's resources to grow God's resources, right? Please clap for that. This feels like a state of the union that I'm doing right now. <laughs> we want to grow the kingdom of God. That is the point of these resources. We want to be wise with the money. Just like the priests in the Old Testament, those people, were, they were supposed to use the offerings of the people for the establishment, for the promotion, um, and, and the maintenance of the worship of God in the temple of God. We, too, are managing the money of the church that Christ's temple is indeed built up through the preaching of the word and the proclamation of the gospel. It is our responsibility to do so. The money given to the church is supposed to be used for the accomplishment of the Great Commission. And that's what we want to do. The point I'm making is the kingdom work, it costs money. And so if you're here and you're like, no, I'm not going to give, I don't give, I don't give, I don't give, that's fine. Just know that the money that you are not giving could be impacting the kingdom of God in a very real way. And it's your giving that makes these things possible. Stuff gets done. That's the point. Giving is practical. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.12, he emphasized this point with the Corinthians. He reminds them that their, their giving was supplying the needs of the saints. Your giving makes it possible to get stuff done. And an increase in giving would make more kingdom work possible. And so lastly, the reason that we give is we should give to, to the glory of God. We want to glorify God with our giving. Here's the reality about money. Some give, right? Actually, most churches would say 20% of the people give 80% of the funds. It's usually how it works. And not because people aren't able to afford it. Like, I understand if, if you're giving faithfully and you're just not making a ton of money right now, I get it. I'm not saying you need to give as much as everybody else. Again, give as you're able. Okay, but that being said, people oftentimes, man, they just love to kind of pat themselves on the back. I checked that box. Look how much money I was able to give. Look what I did. Look what I've accomplished with my wealth. When it comes to giving, when it comes to everything, we should want to give the glory to God, right? Look how God was glorified through the giving of those in the early church, the needs of Jerusalem. This is that last part, 2 Corinthians 9, 12 to 14. This is what it says. It says, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, the service, giving, so I'm going to swap those out. This giving that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God, or uh, yeah, others will praise God for the obedience and accomplish, and accompany, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Your giving is a testament to God's goodness. Your giving is a testament to God's glory. And so I do believe that God is glorified when the people of God give generously and the giving of the people is used properly for the building up of the body of Christ, for the expansion of the kingdom, and for the needs of those people who are around us. Right, just imagine if we were that church 
right? My hope is, is that our giving as a congregation and our use of the funds would be to the glory and the honor and the praise of God. Why? Because our, our money is a huge part of who we are. It is a huge part of who we are. It's a huge source of our comfort. And to worship God with all that we are, we have to do so with the money that he has blessed us with for the sake of the gospel. I think this is true more so for the church in the West, for the American church, than it is for other churches. Sarah and I, uh, a couple years back, we got an opportunity to to travel to Kenya, and we went to this massive church um, in, in Kenya, and we got to sit down with their leadership team. And she was talking about the different areas, the different churches, and the church in Asia, and the church in Europe, and the church in Africa, and the church in America. And she was talking about what all these different churches did really, really well. Funny enough, I think a lot of people would say that the church in America is really, really good at sending missionaries. You know, actually, that Africa now sends more missionaries to other parts in the world than America does. Pretty fascinating. But so then she got to the American church, and she was like, the American church, man, the American church, the American church is so good at funding the gospel. The American church is so good at building wealth for the kingdom so that more opportunities are given out. I, just, I want us to be a church that looks like that. So here's my challenge to you, a couple, a couple of things. Would you first, I just like all, ask yourself the question, Am I thinking about money the right way? This is the biggest hurdle, is the first question, is are you thinking about money the right way? Do I see all things as coming from God and myself as a steward of what God has provided? Or am I seeing myself as cutting a check to the electrical company? Here's the second thing. Would you, would you prayerfully consider your giving? Just think about your, like ask yourself, am I giving worshipfully? Am I giving sacrificially? Am I giving faithfully with the expansion of Christ's kingdom in mind? Here's why I love doing this message this week. Because I'm not begging for your money. I don't have to come up here and say, guys, we're $70,000 in the red. And if we don't rally in the next two months, we're going to lose money as an organization. We have money. We're good. This isn't about patting our pockets. This isn't about patting my pocket. I don't know if you know this, but the more you give, I don't get a raise because you give more. It's not like I'm skimming off the top every single week. There's some weeks where I would really appreciate that, but that's not how it works. So that's the second thing. The third thing, would you check your heart? Okay, would you just, would you make sure that whatever you give, whether it's small or whether it's huge, like be it 1% or 50% or 90% that your heart is right before God. Don't let this be a check to the electric company. Consider what it is that you're actually doing. Because I hope you give willingly and cheerfully and to the glory of God as an act of your, of your worship. And so here's how we're going to wrap up today. I'm going to bring the band back up. Band, if you're hiding in the wings, please come out. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them out, and, and in a second, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to, uh, to this message. And if you're new here or new to the things of church, I want you to hear. I want you to hear this message, but I want you to know, if you're a non-believer specifically, this message is not for you. This is a message of discipleship. This is a message of furthering people in their commitment to God. 
There's a lot of sins that are really, really easy for us to hide. There's a lot of things where we don't worship God with the entirety of our being that nobody else is ever going to see. There's a lot of things and, and a lot of times that, that you think to yourself, you know what, giving is the one spot where no one's going to see it. It's just going to be me and my wife and we're really having a hard time financially. Or beyond that, we, we overextended ourselves. We bought another car. We probably shouldn't have bought another car. And so because of that, I'm not going to give this week or I'm not going to give this month or I'm just not going to give it all. Or I think that I can just show up to church and just take on the dime of somebody else. That's not how this is supposed to function. That's not how this is supposed to work. We're supposed to give to the kingdom. We're supposed to give to the body of Christ for the needs of the body of Christ. And so new believers, while this message isn't for you, I do want you to hear it because I want you to know that when you do acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that that bar gets raised. And the bar doesn't get raised specifically because of the fact that if you don't do this, you're not gonna get into heaven. Jesus took care of that on the cross. Jesus went to the cross, he died for your sins. He made sure that, that the ransom that we were supposed to pay, he took it. And so we don't say that the bar is raised because in order to get to heaven, you have to give this amount of money. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying the bar gets raised because we want to honor and worship a God who was willing to send his son to die on a cross on our behalf in the first place. And we want to use those resources because we have the greatest possible news in the world and we want everybody to know about it. And the only way everybody is going to know about it is if we have the resources to do our best to expand that kingdom as wide as possible and expand that kingdom as deep as possible. That's our goal as a church. That's what we want to do. So non-believers in the room, I don't want your check today. I want you to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before you ever make that step. But for the rest of you in the room who have said, yes, I acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, you need to consider your giving. Can you feel it? Is it impacting the way that you live in a very, very real way? And so what we're gonna do is I hope you receive some communion elements on your way in. If you didn't, in just a second, when the band starts playing, you can raise your hand. It'll double as a hand raise for communion and for worship. Everybody will think you're really spiritual. But just raise your hand, they'll bring you some communion elements. But I just want you to take a second, commune with God, get right with God, and allow the Spirit to search your heart for those, those spaces, that darkness, that you are just not being obedient to Him, you're not being worshipful to Him, specifically when it comes to the resources that He's blessed you with. And repent. Repent of those things that you are holding on to that are getting in the way of worshiping the Lord. And so once this song is over, we'll receive communion together and then we'll sing a little bit more and then, and then we're gonna get out of here. And when you sing in just a second, it'll be after I pray, when you sing in just a second, I want you to just, if you wanna sit, sit. If you wanna kneel, kneel. You wanna stand, stand. You wanna raise your hands, do it. This isn't about how you worship. I do think the outward expression of worship is an important part of worship. This isn't about how you worship though. This is about the state of your heart. And so we're gonna do that. We'll receive communion together. We'll sing a little bit more and then we'll get out of here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your son, first and foremost, which is the reason for all of this. It's the reason that we give. It's the reason that we're generous. It's the reason that we sit here this morning. It's because of your son. 
and the fact that your son, he went and he died on the cross for each and every one of our sins. That he paid the penalty so we wouldn't have to. And God, we so deeply want the world to know. We want to be a church that wants the world to know about him and about the gospel. And God, the plan you put into place is perfect. That the body of Christ should be supporting the means of ministry to the ends of the earth. So God, I pray that your spirit would search our heart with that now. If you're new here, head still bowed, eyes still closed, or maybe the Holy Spirit's just been burned inside of you a little bit, that you need to make that profession of faith, that you need to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, and you just kind of been standing on, on the sidelines. If that's you this morning, you can simply pray with me in the quietness of your heart. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And C, that I would choose to follow him every single day. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.